Luke chapter 11 this morning. Currently going through a series entitled Five to Thrive. These five areas will cause you to thrive in your walk with God if you will discipline yourself and stay faithful. These five areas are Bible, prayer, church, witnessing, giving. I spend one week introducing this series, and if you missed that message, I highly encourage you to take the time to listen to it so you can better understand where it is I'm coming from and why this is so important. And understand that all five of these areas would be a series in of themselves, and we don't, we're not going to take the time to turn each one into a series. We could dig into these a lot. There's no way we can exhaust one area in one message. So my hope is that this series will simply cause you to examine your life to see if you need to be improving in any of these areas. And if so, that you'll determine to do these five areas. You'll be more faithful. You'll draw closer to God as a result. The Bible says if you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. That's how you have a close walk. Last week we covered the first area in our series, the Bible. It's where we get God's heart, mind, and will. We considered how it warns and it rewards and how we are to desire it more than fine gold, more than honey. In other words, we are to desire the Word of God more than the riches of this world and more than the pleasures of this world. But there is a catch. You got to read it. You got to study it. You got to memorize it. You got to meditate upon it. You must do so daily. Just as the children of Israel gathered manna for that day, so you must go to the Word of God and gather manna for your day. Well, for today, we're going to consider the area of prayer. For our text today, we're going to read in chapter 11 of Luke, verses 1 through 13. And it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey, is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. In other words, how do I get this guy to shut up? Everybody catching that? And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one of you that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg... Will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give 
the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. Amen. Did you pray today? Did you pray? Did, did you pray for our services today? Did you pray for the singers and the preacher and just for God to be honored and glorified? Did you spend time in prayer? We find in verse 1 that Jesus was in a certain place praying. He had just been in Bethany. It could be he is now back to the Mount of Olives, which separated Jerusalem from Bethany. Luke 21, 37 says, And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. In between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives was the brook Kidron, which formed the Kidron Valley. There was found the Garden of Gethsemane, which we know Jesus often resorted, because that's where Judas Iscariot knew to find him, to look for him when he was seeking to betray Christ. We ultimately don't know where Jesus is praying. It's all just speculation. But regardless of where he is, would you notice that there was a certain place? There was a certain place. And it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. You know, I would just tell you here by way of quick application, you ought to have a certain place where you pray. It's a place where you can go without distraction. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Jesus said, when thou prayest. And in our text here in verse 2, He's going to say, when ye pray. Which implies our Lord expects us to pray. When you pray. Not if, but when. And He speaks of entering a closet. There in Matthew 6, 6. And, And the intent is not that you literally need to be in a closet. You don't need to find a closet in your house and make that your prayer room, although that would be fine. Unless, of course, it's the cleaning closet. Don't use that. We don't want you inhaling all those fumes while you're praying. Those are not the kind of visions we want you to get. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Tiffany prays in that closet right there, and it's full of chemicals, and she comes out inspired. (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't, but anyway. She does pray, but okay, stop. Um, So you don't need to find a closet. But the intent is that you have a place to pray which is closed off from the rest of the world. And on that note, would you leave your phone somewhere else? (laughs) You don't need that distraction. Because I'll promise you, when you first start training yourself to pray regularly, there'll be plenty of things that come into your mind that distract you. All of a sudden, you start praying and you remember what happened to your eyeglasses from years ago. (laughs) Right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Because the enemy doesn't want you to pray. All kind of things begin to flood your mind. And you don't need the phone buzzing. You don't need to see any messages that are incoming or anything like that. When my dad was pastoring, a lady came to him and said, I can't sleep at night. And he said, try praying. The devil will put you to sleep. She came back the next week and said it worked. Now, I'm glad she got some sleep, but it would be good if you weren't in the habit of falling asleep when you prayed. That's not effective, Brick. So the point is, there are distractions that come to your mind, so find a place that is free from distractions physically. Amen. We see that His disciples here had been watching Jesus pray. We don't know if they walked up upon Him praying, 
or if it was similar to the night that Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane when He told His disciples, watch and pray, and I'm going to go yonder and pray. Maybe that was the, the scenario here, we just don't know. But from their observance of His prayer life, one of the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, Lord. So what is prayer? There are several definitions of prayer you'll find out there. John R. Rice wrote a very popular book entitled Prayer, Asking, and Receiving. That's his opinion on the definition of prayer. And it is true that the word pray can mean ask. And it is true that God answers prayers. We see this in our text there in verses 9 and 10. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. So prayer is asking and receiving. But I think prayer can be so much more than just asking God. Sometimes we can go to God in prayer and not ask for anything. But we're just praying a prayer of thankfulness. I hope you're doing that anyhow. You should be in that habit. Thanking God in reverent adoration of Him. So for me personally, I like to bottom line prayer meaning this. I'm simply talking with God. I'm communing with my Father. It includes both request and praise. And we can see that if we were to go through the model prayer here in verses 2 through 4. But you'll be surprised we're only going to make it through verse 1. God is our heavenly Father. And I believe that we are meant to speak with Him just like we would an earthly father. Amen. The Lord is my friend. Is He yours? The Lord is my friend and I speak to Him as a friend. Yes, it's asking God, but it's fellowshipping with God. We ask for our daily bread. We ask for our sins to be forgiven. We ask not to be led into temptation. But we also speak of how hallowed His name is. We speak of His kingdom, His will being done. Religions try to convince you that it's somehow irreverent to go to God and just commune with Him as a friend. Like somehow we must pray to God in the King's 1611 English. O Thou Most Holy Father, Thee Thou Ye. Listen, I, we ought to have such a relationship with God, we just talk with Him. I believe we find how God delights in us just speaking with Him. This is the problem with cluttered society today. People don't know how to be alone with God. There's too many distractions. Television, internet, phone. Where do you draw the line? Always distractions. And yet you find some of the greatest communing with God in the Bible happened in times of solitude. But how many of us don't even know how to be alone with God? This isn't even in my notes. I'm just talking with you. Amen. We, we don't even understand what it means. Constantly got to be fed something. Enoch had a relationship with God that was like a friend. You know what the Bible says? That one day God just took Enoch on home. He walked with God and he was not. Guess what they were doing when they were walking together? They were talking. They were communing. 
Enoch, we're having such great fellowship. Why don't you just come back to my place? Whoop! (laughs) Abraham had this kind of relationship. And he's called in the Bible the friend of God. Moses had this kind of relationship. And Exodus 33.11 says, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. I don't think it's irreverent to speak with God as a friend so long as He is properly addressed. Hallowed be thy name. He's not the man upstairs. He's not the big kahuna. He is God Almighty and He's to be reverenced as such. He's holy. But I think speaking with Him as a friend while still being reverenced, it demonstrates our understanding of our standing with God. I want you to get this because when we understand that we have a kind of relationship with God where we can just start talking with Him, it means that we understand what God's Word says about us being saved. About us being reconciled to God. And I think in a sense, that kind of relationship with God, it elevates and it glorifies God for all that He's done. Listen, we can boldly come before His throne. Confidently is what that means. We confidently come before God on the merits of Christ and His blood. And we know that this is true because Christ's sacrifice satisfied God's requirement for us to be reconciled. And now, we are adopted into His family. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's a term of endearment. Daddy. Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know whether or not you're in Christ today because the Spirit is speaking to your spirit if you are. It goes on to say, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Ephesians 3, 2, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of Him. And I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is that I don't believe uh, this lie that we just can't approach God. We don't have to go through an earthly priest, aren't you glad? We don't have to go through an earthly church. Hallelujah. But listen, in Christ, we can go before our Father confidently. We have the same access that Abraham did. That's amazing. We have the same access that Jesus did while He was upon this earth. (laughs) There are no second class children of God in God's family. There's no red-headed stepchildren. (laughs) The only difference is whether or not you take God at His word and you come to Him in prayer or not. So for the sake of this message, let's just say prayer is communing with God. Now the disciples evidently saw something in Jesus' prayer life that was lacking in their own prayer life. Lord, teach us to pray. They took note of the connection between Jesus' public walk with God and His private communing with God. They caught the connection there. And I find this request, Lord, teach us to pray, remarkable. Of all that they had seen Jesus do, This is what they ask for. That's remarkable to me. I mean, if you had the opportunity 
to ask Jesus to teach you to do one thing, what would it be? I don't know. I mean, it's a loaded question now. you got to say prayer today, amen. But <laughs> what would it be? In the beginning of Luke chapter 9, Jesus called His 12 disciples together. He gave them power and authority over all devils to cure diseases and to heal the sick. So they didn't need to ask, Lord, teach us how to cast out demons and cure diseases and heal the sick. But still, they had seen Him turn water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. They saw Him open blinded eyes, loose the tongue of the dumb, cause the deaf to hear. Some of that may be tied in with healing the sick. They even saw Jesus raise the dead. They watched Jesus command nature as the boat is in distress. Jesus steps up and just says, Peace, be still. The wind ceased and the sea calmed. They saw the Lord come walking on water. Now, I'd be tempted to ask for that. I like to fish and, you know, I could just walk to where I wanted to drop. Anyway, they had seen Him feed the multitude miraculously with just a boy's lunch. And yet, they don't ask to be taught any of that. But the one thing they asked to be taught was how to pray. What caused them to make this request? Out of all they could have asked Jesus to teach them, why ask, Lord, teach us to pray? I have a theory. In Luke chapter 9, also Matthew 17 and Mark 9, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they're coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. When they get to town, there was a man who met Jesus with a son who was possessed with a devil that the disciples who were not on the Mount of Transfiguration could not cast out. Remember the account? Jesus said, bring thy son hither. Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit, healed the child and delivered him again unto his father. And the Bible says they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. Well, later on, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why could not we cast him out? Jesus explained they had unbelief. But then He said this, How be it, this kind goeth not out, but by what? Prayer and fasting. And I don't think that experience left their mind as now in chapter 11 they're approaching Jesus and they're witnessing Him pray. Jesus had just said, This kind cometh not forth, but by prayer and fasting. And now they walk upon Je- up on Jesus praying. And no doubt their mind would have connected the, the power that Jesus had as a result of His prayer life. And so they come up and they don't say, Lord, teach us how to cast out demons more effectively. But Jesus, teach us how to pray. Jesus told them when they couldn't cast out the demon, they had unbelief. And that prayer was essential to their victory over the evil spirit. And what's important to grasp in all of that is this. There is a very definite connection between prayer and faith. You cannot separate the two. In Dr. Tom Williams' book entitled Prayer and Faith, he calls prayer the twin sister of faith. You can't separate them. Surely you can see that. Because if you're praying without Faith, I want to ask you, are you really praying? 
Hebrews eleven six 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You cannot separate the two. Mark eleven twenty four. 24, Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. If you're going to thrive in your private prayer life and therefore thrive in your walk with God, then you must pray in faith. You must come to God believing. This one unnamed disciple says to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Now what's interesting is that was that one man's prayer request. Lord, he's crying out to God, Lord, teach us to pray. He's approaching Jesus and he's asking to be taught how. Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. So notice this request again here in verse 1. It says, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught His disciples. Now I'm going to start bringing this home. Okay, I'm going to try to make application to your life. Evidently, there's a prayer life that must be taught. Are you you catching that? Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. John taught it, Jesus taught it, and I doubt that the two ever conflicted because John was the forerunner to Christ. And now we have the Bible to teach us. Not that we can't take tips from each other, but the Bible teaches us how to pray. And I want you to understand that in this matter of five to thrive, this is what I want you to get now. I'm not talking about a life where we recite memorized prayers. I'm not talking about learning prayers. Okay, I want you to understand my heart this morning. When we're talking about five to thrive, you got to understand, we're not talking about memorizing, reciting from memory like the world's religions do. That's something Jesus taught against. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 7, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. A prayer life isn't those things which jump up out of our heart and into our minds, out of your mouth in a time of crisis either. Listen, I'm, I'm talking about a prayer life. A prayer life isn't when you just recite memorized prayers. A prayer life isn't when you're sinking in the sea and you cry out, Lord, save me. Do you understand the difference? Peter, he's sinking in the sea. Lord, save me. That wasn't the time for for Peter to go through the model prayer. Lord, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, save me. Of course, the Lord heard that prayer. Amen. He had to cry out in a hurry. There are times for that. But I want you to understand His prayer of, Lord, save me, didn't justify Peter being able to say, see, I prayed today. Remember when I was sinking in the sea earlier, Lord, and I I said, Lord, save me, I I prayed today. I hope you're catching this. That's not a prayer life. That's not you being able to do your little checklist and say, yup, I prayed today. No, listen, I'm talking about you're getting real with God. Peter's prayer that I'm speaking of was not a prayer of life, but it was his moment of crisis. Now the problem today is, many people never develop a prayer life. 
They do pray in their time of crisis. Lord, my marriage is falling apart. My kids are rebels. Whatever crisis you want to pick, our finances have fallen apart. They cry out in their time of crisis, but they don't have a prayer life. Jesus cried out in his moment of crisis, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But Jesus had a prayer life. Real quick, listen to these. Luke 3.21 Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying. Luke 5.16 And He withdrew Himself into the wilderness and prayed. Luke 6.12 And it came to pass in those days that He went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Luke 9.18 And it came to pass as He was alone praying. Luke 9.28 he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. Luke twenty two forty one. 41, while in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. Mark 1, 35, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Make no mistake about it, Jesus had a prayer life. And if there was ever anyone who had an occasion to live without a prayer life, it was the sinless, sinless Lamb of God. Yet he prayed more than we do. We don't, when we don't develop a prayer life, it's as if we're treating God as though he's nothing more than our lucky rabbit's foot. That he's our get out of jail free card when we don't have a prayer life. And we only cry out, Lord, I need, I need help out of this crisis. But what happened to praying the model prayer a little bit earlier that day, saying, Lord, lead me not to temptation, deliver me from evil? I want us to learn to have a prayer life. God's not up there just wanting to hear from us when things fall apart. Listen, He wants to fellowship with you every day. All the time. Jesus had a prayer life. Do you have a prayer life? Jesus said in Luke 18:1, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer. Philippians 4.6, everything by prayer and supplication. Romans 12.12, continuing instant in prayer. And all of those imply a life of prayer. It's continual. It's all the time. Do you ever just find yourself communing with God as you're driving down the road? You're just in fellowship with Him. David had cultivated a prayer life. Psalm 55, 16 and 17. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening, morning, and at noon will I cry, will I pray and cry aloud and He shall hear my voice. Daniel also cultivated a prayer life. Remember how the leaders there in Babylon, they, they had Darius issue a decree that if anybody bowed down to pray to any god or man within a 30-day period, he was to be cast into the den of lions. But Daniel had cultivated a prayer life. Amen. Daniel 6.10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, his windows being open, in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Whoop. It's also clear from the Bible that Peter, John, and Paul all had developed a prayer life. We could add more to that list, I'm sure. But we're talking about men like Enoch, Abraham, Moses, David, Daniel, Peter, John, Paul. 
They all had prayer life. And some would say, but all those were great men of God. Of course they had to have a great prayer life. Yeah, they were great men of God, but it wasn't them being great that led to them having a prayer life. But it was them having a prayer life that led to them being great with God. They thrived because they were faithful in prayer. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Not do you pray, but do you have a prayer life? Now, if you find yourself struggling in this crucial area, it could be you're simply not disciplined enough. It could be you're allowing hindrances into your life. I don't have time to expound these now, so let me just give them to you real quick. I already mentioned one. Unbelief is a hindrance to prayer. James 1, 6 and 7, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Number two, sin. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Next, selfishness. James 4, 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Unforgiveness. Mark 11, 25 and 26, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Marital issues are a hindrance to prayer. 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, speaking of the wife, according to knowledge, given honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Indifference towards the Bible. Proverbs 28, 9, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. So do you have any of these hindrances? If so, you're not going to thrive in your Christian life. And if you do have hindrances, you need them removed. Say, how do I do that? You confess them. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if someone else is involved in that, you need to go to that person and make it right. So do you have a prayer life? If you want to thrive in your walk with God, you must learn to commune with Him. Ask Him, praise Him, thank Him, talk with Him as a friend. Pray about everything. Every decision, every need, every want, every hope, every desire. Know you're standing with Him. Come confidently before Him on the merits of Christ. Pray through the name of Christ. In Christ is where we have authority and power to pray. And if you need to cultivate a prayer life today, then why don't you just just determine that you're going to leave out of here doing that. Say, Pastor, I know I pray. I pray before the meal. I'm not talking about praying before the meal. Do you have a prayer life? Do you have a certain place where you pray? You're never going to thrive without a true prayer life. Let's pray.